1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But well, what we see here is each person is given a different measure of enablement, a different gift, a different level to work at. And what's happening is we begin to think of our own pleasure, our own preferences rather than God's prescriptions. And we need to beware of the half-empty glass. You know, we see the glass as half-empty when, in fact, God has given us a glass full of ministry
0: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: The last time we were together, we talked about how rough women had it. And I don't want anybody to come away with the misperception that women are helpless or anything like that. Women are created in the image and likeness of God, just like men. Women are, are, have equally bear the image of God, just like men. And women are quite capable. We talked about that a little bit within Proverbs, with Proverbs thirty-one fifteen, the Proverbs thirty-one woman who acquired a field and and built a vineyard on it and everything else. But I want to talk to you right now about some women from history. As many of you know, if you know me, I read voraciously and I read widely, and I'm an avid reader and I love history. And there are some women from history I'd like to talk to you about today. Some of whom are my heroes and I want to share them with you because as tough as women have it, women can be tough. Women can be mountain movers. Many are, you know, and, and I just want to talk to you about some of them right now. And the first one is Lady Margaret Thatcher, and she is one of my heroes. Vanity Fair Magazine called her the invincible Margaret Thatcher. Others called her the iron lady. She was a tough customer. England was in financial decline. England was in, uh, if you want to call it, Morale declined, not moral decline, but morale was low. The country was a mess, and somebody needed to fix it. And Margaret Thatcher stepped in. She was elected prime minister of England. And she, she just worked through the issues. Home ownership went up. Prosperity came in. She straightened things out. She wasn't perfect, but she was a tough customer. She was a clear thinker. She was courageous. And she did what many people said was impossible. Another person that I immensely respect is Sandra Day O'Connor. Who's she? A lot of people today, because they don't know history, think that Ruth Bader Ginsburg or someone else is the first woman Supreme Court justice. But Sandra Day O'Connor is the first woman Supreme Court justice who paved the way for others to follow. Another uh, incredible woman from history that I admire was a lady who was a part time employee of the Milwaukee Public Library. Uh, she later became a school teacher, and then later she immigrated to Israel. And there she became the fourth prime minister of Israel during some of its most tumultuous times. And she led the country courageously. People underestimated her, and she faced some of the most difficult challenges in her time as prime minister, one of which I remember as a young man watching the 1972 Munich Olympics when the Palestinian Liberation Organization sent terrorists to Munich, Germany, and they slaughtered much of the the Israeli Olympic team. She saw that many of those people came to justice. Then there are people within the church, women within the church, maybe not as famous as the first three, but I would submit famous in the kingdom of God amy carmichael long ago she was a missionary to india she ministered to the disadvantaged and to women as well and one of the things she did was she rescued little girls from sex trafficking she rescued little girls and young women who were being forced into prostitution in hindu temples and she did so at great personal risk and she commanded no armies but she was a dedicated servant of christ who did whatever she could to help those who were in distress. Less famous than her is Ann Judson. Who is she? She was the wife of Adoniram Judson, missionary to Burma, modern-day Myanmar. What did she do? You know, she wasn't as famous. She had a quiet strength, a quiet and determined courage, and when her husband and other missionaries were arrested and imprisoned, they were, being, they were starving because the prisons there in Burma weren't like the prisons today where you get three square meals a day. <clears throat> and so with almost no resources and without a husband to protect her, she kept these men fed and she herself went without. And she's a hero of the faith. And what do all these women have in common? They were determined, capable, brave, courageous, mountain-moving women who seemingly did the impossible when others thought it couldn't be done. And as great as these women are and as wonderful as they are, as larger than life as they are, they all have one other thing in common. None of them, none of them did anything within the church of Jesus Christ in violation of God's command that a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Each was raised up for a specific time, such a time as this, you might say. Each of them was in a specific context. Two of them were inside the kingdom of God, but none of them violated the scriptures that we've been discussing for the last several weeks. Does this diminish their achievement? Does this make them less of a person? No, it doesn't. And so today, as we, as we complete our final installment of Church Unlike the World, about corporate worship, making a countercultural statement, I want to talk to you today, I want to return to our previous discussion as promised, and I want to talk to you about the objections that are commonly made to what I've been teaching you from God's Word for the last several weeks. And so today we want to ask and answer the question, are all the roles of men and women Truly interchangeable, as some would propose, as some suggest? Or has God set parameters and differentiated between the roles of men and women in the church in certain circumstances, in certain situations? And to answer that, what we want to look at today are four objections that people make to what we've been teaching, four typical objections to 1 Timothy two twelve through 14. And objection number one is this. Objection number one is this. Spiritual gifts are given without restriction to be used any which way we can, any which way a woman would. The idea here is, this, is that since spiritual gifts are given in Romans twelve three through eight, without spelling out gender applications, that there must not be any gender restrictions on the use of somebody's spiritual gift, no matter what that might be. And it's not about the capability of women. Remember that. It's not about punishing women. The Bible esteems women. We've talked about that before. But the idea here is that whatsoever gift you have, you can use it interchangeably with a man if you are a woman. That men and women's roles are completely interchangeable within the church. And I'm afraid that's just not true. How do we know that? Well, let's look at Romans 12:3 through 8. And let's look and see if, based on what this passage says... Women have carte blanche, a, bl- a blank check to do whatever and serve wherever they want to in the church. As an elder, as a pastor, teaching men, teaching uh, the mixed congregation, whatever. Let's see if we can find that in t- Romans twelve three through 8. Let me read that for you now. For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That's that interdependency I've talked about before. Verse 6, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you see carte blanche there anyway? Anywhere? And I'm afraid that those who are in a hurry or are or, or making haste to rationalize their position read into the text here things that aren't there. And they, in so doing, they make kind of a severe logical leap and say, well, just because it says that we can't do it must mean that we can do it. And that's probably not an assumption you want to make. Why? Because we've already looked at all the text already. You see, what they're doing is reading the text instead of reading from the text about that we're to use our gifts to, the best way that we can according to God's will, they're reading into the text that I can use that gift any which way I choose. And we already see in the text that God sort of calls the shots. He gives each person a measure of faith as he intends, as he assigns. Uh, get the gifts giffer, differ according to the grace given us. And there's nothing in the text that indicates anything any differently. Look at Romans, the end of Romans twelve three. You see here that each according to the measure of the faith that God assigned. God has given each person a certain ability, a certain amount of enablement, a certain amount of faith to do what he prescribes, what he wants. But what is implicit and explicit in the text is that it's as God assigns. God makes the decision. God sets the parameters. You see that again in verse 6. Romans twelve six talks about having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them sometimes people say if i can't teach men if i can't teach a mixed group sometimes women say that then i deserve better why are you limiting me why is god limiting me god can't be limiting me because of what's in what's in romans 12 but what we see here is each person is given a different measure of enablement a different gift a different level to work at and what's happening is we begin to think of our own pleasure, our own preferences rather than God's prescriptions. And we need to beware of the half-empty glass. You know, we see the glass as half-empty when, in fact, God has given us a glass full of ministry to fulfill. Going back to Romans 12.3, Romans 12.3, I read that last half a moment ago, but there's kind of a warning at the beginning of 12.3. There's a warning that every one of you, everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We're not to be cavalier in the use of our gifts. We're not to be careless. We're not to put our agenda ahead of God's agenda. We're to think soberly, how can I bring God pleasure through the use of these gifts? There's nothing in here about personal gratification. And the context of this passage indicates it's talking about gifts in general, and giftedness in general but it's not dealing with gender at all that's not what Romans is about some people say well show me some place where gifts and their use are restricted in some way well let's do that let's look at first Corinthians chapter 12 this is the seminal first Corinthians 12 13 and 14 is the seminal passage is the seminal discussion of the use of spiritual gifts and the restrictions in the New Testament and in Romans twelve seven, we read this, beginning in twelve seven, going through verse 11. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, that's a spiritual gift, for the common good. For each one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit, verse 11. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. Look at this who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is all about the will and the purposes of God here. Talking about restrictions, the gifts are not to be used for your gratification, but for the common good in verse seven. And verse 11 reminds us it's, it's about his will, not our will. It says, just as he wills. Can we use our gifts as we want? No, we can't. We have to use it for the common good, and in, verse, in chapter 13, it'll talk about if I do this or I do this and I don't have love, love for God, and love for my brother, uh, it's all for naught. I become a clanging gong or a, a noisy cymbal. Can we use the gifts the way we want to? We can't. How do I know that? Well, there are more restrictions described in First Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 33. And see, these are the wider context of Scripture. You just can't look at Romans in isolation. You have to look at the whole counsel of God's word. And in 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 33, we read this. Listen to this. Let all things be done for building up. That's for the common good, right? If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn. There's restrictions, right? And let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Verse 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh or scrutinize what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged, again, for the common good. Verse 32, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Verse 33, four, because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So when somebody says there are no real restrictions on my use of spiritual gifts, is that true? No. We even see here they have to be used for the common good or the building up. Even in in, in the church at Ephesus, uh, excuse me, the church at Corinth, the unruly and raucous church, where people were out of line with the use of their gifts and using them willy-nilly, we see the Spirit of God speaking through the Apostle Paul to restrict, to establish parameters and boundaries for the use of gifts. People were to speak in tongues one at a time, no more than three in a service. If there was no interpreter, they were to remain silent. At most, three prophets could speak again one at a time in order and the goal was so that everybody could be encouraged again for the common good for the building up of the church and there's a warning there in verse 32 don't say you lost self-control and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets and it explains why verse 33 for god is not a god of confusion but a god of peace we never lose self-control we never get carried away. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets because of the character of God. There has to be order in the church. People are to function with self-restraint as it talks about in 1 Timothy 2. Self-control. It's not to be ostentatious. They're not to be boisterous. They're to exercise self-restraint and self-control as it talks about in verse 32 because of God's character. These are similar restrictions that are found in the pastoral epistles. There are parameters set. There are roles established. And we can't say that all roles are interchangeable. Look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 2 with me. And we'll also look at Titus 1, uh, verses 6 and 9. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task therefore an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife sober minded self-control respectable hospitable able to teach what do we see well this area is limited to men there is a restriction there this area of leadership this area of teaching you see it again in Titus 1 6 and 9 so it's not just limited to Ephesus it includes Crete which is where Titus was Verse six, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Verse nine, he must hold, the, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to, refute, to rebuke those who contradict. These are clear restrictions. Nobody could do just what they wanted to. There were qualifications, there were parameters established. Like what? Well, let's look at 1 Timothy 2:12 and 13. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Some people what is that saying? It's saying that women can't teach men, that they can't exercise spiritual authority over men. And it gives a reason that we talked about last week and the week before, but the creation order, the primacy of the firstborn. Adam was created first, than Eve. We even looked to that and saw that confirmed last week in 1 Corinthians 11. This is a universal principle. And nothing in Romans 12 gets around this, cancels this. In fact, going back to First uh, Corinthians 14, 33 to 40, we see this is in Corinth, which was in Greece, we saw that it's in Crete, which is where Titus was, and it's, it's in Ephesus with Timothy. But let's look at 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three to 40. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge the things that I am writing you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. What does that mean? we talked about this last week. It doesn't mean that women can't talk in church. It doesn't mean that women can't publicly pray in church. It doesn't even mean that women couldn't prophesy because 1 Corinthians 11 talks about that. But it talks about how they were to go about it. But what it does say is they're not allowed to preach. To the, old, to the overall congregation, to the mixed congregation of men and women. And given the wider context of Scripture, we see that what applies in Corinth applied in Ephesus, and, there, and what is going on in Romans 12 doesn't nullify or cancel any of that. Women prayed and women prophesied, but women were not to speak. They were not to preach. And so you cannot make the case from Romans twelve three through 8, that this somehow gets around First Timothy two twelve thirteen 13, and 14. So much for objection one. Let's talk about objection two. What is objection two? Objection two is this, that Galatians 3.28 removes all gender distinctions. It removes gender restrictions. What does Galatians 3.28 say? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. You are all one in Christ. Oh, okay but what does that mean and what's the context of that passage what is the flow of thought in that passage what is the Apostle Paul who wrote that talking about well that's the key here because people can pull passages out of context all day long and make them appear to say almost what they want them to say or what they wish they said and I'm not trying to be harsh or hard I know this is hard for some of you to hear You've heard me say this before. It's not what a church is taught that often hurts it. It's what people forget to teach or neglect to teach. And when you look at Galatians chapter three, you see that it has nothing to do with the roles of men and women in the church. Galatians is about somebody teaching a different gospel to the churches in Galatia. And Galatians 3 makes that very clear. And it, it informs, it clarifies the context of Galatians 3.28. Let me show you what I mean here. Let's start at the top. Galatians 3.1. Let's watch the flow of the discourse and the context of Galatians 3.28. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith?
0: Pastor Keith Crosby as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...